we are, are continuing to move forward on our, our, our year-long, really, series for 2019 that we're calling The Reset. And, and, and this is a series that really is just all about getting us back to the, to the foundation, to the essence of our faith and our life in Jesus by, by unpacking the, the great commandment and, and the great commission. And where we have been just recently, last week, we kicked off just this, uh, this concept of addressing our heart. One of the things God says is to love them with our heart. We, we're starting to talk about the, the heart. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you that, that God is not nearly as interested in your works as he is in your heart. And, and so this morning, I want to share with you a, a message from the Lord and his word about idols, about heart idols. Anybody excited about that? That's like the thing you wanted to come to church for, you know what I'm saying? You're like, man, I hope he's going to talk about idols today. <laughs> Let's do this, though, if you can, stand up with me. Um, I want to get us ready for the word, you know what I mean? And, and you got, we have to be ready. Like, Remember, like scripture, the word of God, it's a participatory thing, right? Like it's not just me talking and you listen. It's us engaging in God's word together. It's us receiving what God wants to speak to us, yeah? And so, so I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask God to minister to us through his word, and I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to invite the Lord to minister and to speak to your heart because God wants to speak to you. And if you've never heard him, if you've never heard his voice, I believe that, that today is a day for you. I believe that God wants to speak to you in a way that you know it's his voice. Okay, let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for this time. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the opportunity to be together, Lord, in your presence. God, thank you that you love to meet with us. You love to be with us, God. You love to speak to us. And God, thank you that you planned long ago that we would be here on this day to receive your word to us. Father, I pray that even now that every set of ears in this room would be open to hear from you, God, that every heart would be open to receive of you, God, that you would speak today. And Father, that we would hear you. God, we need to hear you. Lord, we want to hear you. We just invite the Lord and just take a minute and just tell him, God, I want to hear from you today. Just ask him, Lord, would you speak to me? God, help me to get what you have for me. Lord, we love you. We need you, Lord. God, your word, you say, is life. You said that your word is living and active. It's alive. Lord, let your word come to life in us today. God, may your word be planted in our hearts and produce good fruit in us. God, may we be changed by your word. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you administer that word, the word of the Father, to every heart in this room. Or come and have your way. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right. So, so we're talking about loving God with all 
of our heart. And, and we know that that comes from the, the great commandment. That we, we read that through the Gospels. Mark chapter 12 is one of those places where, where Jesus says to his disciples and, and to us and all who follow him, he says that the greatest commandment of all, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says the greatest commandment of all is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind mind and with all your strength. Everything else in our life is meant to come from this first place of loving God with all. In response to this, we as, uh, as a community are digging into this command and, and we're starting just where Jesus does. We're starting with, with our heart. We're, we're looking at what it means for us to, to love God with our heart. And, and one of the things that we're doing as we are walking through this series is, is giving to you an identity statement, something that is true about who God is and, and who you are in him that you need to know that, that's important for you to hold on to for your life and your walk in God. And if you missed it last week or, or you weren't here, you didn't write it down, I want to share that with you again. We can put that up on the screen um, because this is important for you. Can we, can we just say this together, okay? I am loved by God. And he wants to be with me. One more time. Can we say that? I am loved by God and he wants to be with me. That, that's a fact. Okay? H hold on to that one. Write that one down. Pa Pastor Neil gave a great message last week. Uh, and if you missed it, you can go to edgeroar.com and give it a listen. But the essence of his message was simply that when it comes to loving God, we cannot begin with our love for him. We must begin with his love for us. He talked about how in 1 John 4, 19, it says that we love because God first loved us. Okay, so that, that, that which is really to say that our ability to fulfill this first and greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart is only possible if we first receive his love for us. So, so, so the most important thing of anything else that I'm about to tell you is this. So if you miss anything and everything, get this one, okay? Because honestly, nothing else that we're going to teach in this series and probably ever is going to be more important for your life than this one. Here it is. The, the source, the, the foundation, the starting place for every single thing that really matters in your life and from it is built upon is God's great and gracious and unconditional and unchanging and unending and everlasting and eternal love for you and you receiving that love. That, that's the most important thing for your life. If you miss that, then you miss everything. And we have to have that because we can't give what we don't have. In order for us to give love, we have to first receive it. We can't love God apart from his love for us. So if we're going to get at our hearts, we have to first get at his. And that's what Neil talked about last week. Does everybody understand that? Is that perfectly clear? Yeah? Firstly, most importantly... The greatest first place for all of us is to receive God's love for us. Outside of that, nothing else matters. Outside of that, everything else is religious works. It's, it's duty. It's obligation. It's religion empty of power, empty of the spirit, empty of the relationship that we were meant to walk in with God. Okay, now let's talk about our heart. 
at the center of every heart, at the center of your heart sits a throne. And whoever or whatever is sitting upon the throne of your heart is the one who is determining, directing, shaping, and moving your life. Your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, your affections, your perspective, your actions, all of it is being orchestrated by whoever or whatever is king of your heart. This is why we read in the book of Proverbs 4 verse 23, which is known to us as the book of wisdom, it says to us, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it says that all of your life, it determines the course of your life. In the words of uh, my friend Matty Urso, who I saw posted on Facebook this week, he said that the, the one who rules is the one who reigns. Yeah? And, and, and that's exactly right. The one who is ruling your heart is the one who is reigning in your life. It is your God and ultimately the one that you are serving. Every day without fail, every single one of us comes to that throne to present ourselves as a slave to obey the one who sits upon it. And a lot of us don't like that. We're like, no, we think, no, man, I'm no slave. I'm free. I'm the captain of my own destiny, right? Like my life is my own. I make my decisions. I do what I want, right? Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're a slave to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Notice the word either there. Okay, it's pretty clear. Either you will ultimately present yourself as a slave to God to obey Him, or you will present yourself to be a slave to sin and obey it. There's only two options. This is why the first and greatest commandment of the Ten Commandments that God gives to His people and to us in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5, God says to us, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God here is not saying that there are a bunch of gods. God God is saying that, that in fact you will either worship and obey the one true God or you will make for yourself a substitute God. You will make for yourself a, a God in your life that will serve as your functional Lord and Savior. Martin Luther said that that all other sin that breaks any command of God automatically breaks this first one. Because to do so means that you already believe that there was someone or something greater and more valuable than God. You already put someone else on the throne of your heart. And God says, whoever or whatever it is that sits on the throne of your heart other than me is an idol. That it's a false god. An idol is, is anything more fundamental to your happiness, to your purpose, and to your identity than God. It's the thing that commands your obedience, consumes your thoughts and affections, that which you need to be fulfilled, the, the thing you cannot live without. 
And now, now this can even be a good thing turned into a God thing. A good thing made ultimate. Money, for example, is a good thing. But making money the priority, purpose, and pursuit of your heart and life makes it an idol. Relationships, a spouse, children, all good things. But making any of those things the purpose and priority and pursuit of your heart and your life makes them an idol. Ultimately, we can make anything an idol of our heart if we don't guard it. That's what Proverbs' invitation to us is. Our our hearts were made for God. We were created to find our greatest joy and affection and peace and security and and hope and and comfort and satisfaction and fulfillment and, and purpose, all in relationship with God himself. From creation, Genesis chapter one, we find that that God makes mankind, you and me, in his image and likeness. And it says that we he created us to worship him, to love and worship and obey him. And God created us to rule over all of the other things that he made. If you don't believe me, read Genesis chapter 1 this week. But, but what happens is that, that mankind rebels against God in Genesis chapter 3. And, and sin forever enters into human history. And when sin enters in, it reverses this order so that mankind stops worshiping and loving and obeying the creator and instead begins to worship and love and obey the things which God created. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they had exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator himself, who is is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Paul outlines here for us this terrible exchange that happens in the human heart as a result of sin. He says that though we know God, that, 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 that they knew him, we know him, but we don't look to God. We don't thank God. Instead, we put something that he created above him, the creator. And we look to that thing to be our God. We worship and obey it. Any, any time that we value something more highly than we value God, two things uh, we do. One is we suppress the truth of God. And the other, we call his character into question. So, so if you have a relationship that is more valuable, that you celebrate and rejoice and pursue more than God, then, then in the end, anything that God says about that relationship that you don't like has to be suppressed. You, you can't receive it. You would rather than believe the lie about the relationship than embrace the truth of what God says. And, and because God would even say such a thing, or worse yet, because God would maybe perhaps even take that relationship from you, you calls into question his goodness. You question his character. God's word says that we are to guard our hearts because if left unguarded, other things will take his place on the throne of our heart. This is something really that we see all through scripture happen to pretty much everybody but Jesus. 
There's a great passage in the book of Ezekiel. I'm, I'm sure most of you guys are spending a lot of time in Ezekiel, but um, j- just in case you don't, um, Ezekiel is a prophet of the Lord. And, and, and there's this great scene where it talks about how the leaders and the elders, the, right, the, the people who are leading God's people come to sit and to dine with Ezekiel. And here's what Ezekiel uh, and God says to him in Ezekiel 14. It says, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. And then the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Why is that important? That's important because what, what this is saying to us is anyone can have an idol in their heart. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with God. It doesn't matter if you serve in the church. It doesn't matter if you lead in the church. These were leaders. Anyone can set up an idol or idols in the heart. What what do we do with that? What what do we do about that? How do we understand that? I'm going to talk to you about three things this morning. You can write the first one down. The first thing we need to do is identify your idols. The only way you can deal with an idol is to know what it is, yeah? Jesus, when he's talking about our hearts in Matthew 6, 21, he gives us some insight and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in other words, if you want to know what has your heart, consider what it is that you treasure most. Uh, I'll ask you four questions. You can write these down or at least think about these, okay, to to maybe consider what has your heart. Who or what gets your best? Who or what gets your best? Your best time? Your, your, Your best energy? Your best resources? Who or what gets that first? Here's another one. Whose approval are you most concerned with? Whose approval of you matters most? Here's the third one. Who or what do you run or turn to when things get hard in your life? Here's the fourth one. Who or what, if it was taken from your life, would cause you to stop faithfully walking with the Lord or trusting in Him? Who or what, if it was taken from your life, would cause you to to stop faithfully walking with the Lord and trusting in Him. Uh, our good friend Christine Sims, I know, gave a message at Dwell this last year uh, about idols, and she used four words um, to expose our heart. She used the words love, and seek, she used the words love, seek, fear, and trust. And so maybe you could write those four words down, love, seek, fear, and trust. And, and you could consider, what is it that I love most? What is it that I seek the most? Who or what? What is it that I fear the most and what is it, right? What is it that I trust the most? What is it for me? Now, most of the things that tend to come to our mind are, are surface things. They're things like money or possessions or relationships or, or a job, career, or, or pleasure or whatever. These are things on the surface. They're, they're visible. And sometimes, if we're honest, they're even pretty good things or things that we go, well, it's not really that bad, right? Uh, most of us in this room are not thinking like the real God and treasure of my life is fill in the blank with whatever you were just thinking about. No, none of us really cognitively think about that. 
No one is saying that the greatest treasure and value of my life is this relationship or is this kind of job or is this kind of body or is the iPhone 47 or whatever the thing is, right? Like, but, but our heart and our life is revealing our life. What we're doing is revealing to us our heart. And, and so the fact that we go into massive dead and the fact that we continue to be in destructive relationships and the fact that we overconsume and undernourish all these things are revealing what's really in our heart only at the end of the day these aren't the biggest issue and these aren't the main problem okay the the, the real issue is deeper than that this is uh, where a number of Christian counselors and, and theologians, they, they speak about the root or source idols of our life, and they identify four of them. I'll share those with you. The first one is power. And power is a, a longing for success and influence and status. The, the second one is control. It's a longing to have X, fill in the blank, go according to my plan. The third one is comfort. It's a longing simply for comforts and pleasure. The fourth one is approval. It's a longing to be accepted and affirmed and respected by fill in the blank. And the idea here is that all other idols, all other things, all other sin ultimately find their place within these four core root idols. So uh, for an example, let's say that on the surface, the idol is work. Uh, Lots of people overwork, but for the person with a power idol, they overwork because their their greatest pursuit and priority is success and influence and, and status. For the person with a control idol, they overwork because more money means less uncertainty and job security and assurance for the future. The person with a comfort idol turns uh, to, and overworks because the extra money gets them all the things, the comforts they want, that new house, that new car, that next whatever, the thing that they desire. The person with an approval idol overworks to earn other people's affirmation and respect. The first step for us in dealing with our heart or the idols of our heart is to identify what's really there for us. Where is that for you? Can you identify that? Here's the second thing. Consider their work. Consider the work of idols. Remember uh, in Romans 16 that we talked about that, but Romans 16 doesn't only teach us that that we will only ultimately serve one of two masters. It, it, It teaches us that any master that we serve, any idol that we serve apart from God, ultimately only leads us on a path of pain and hurt and worry and brokenness and fear and ultimately death because that's always the final outcome of sin. It kills everything. It kills hearts. It kills relationships. It kills marriages and families families and destinies and lives. So so it's important for us to know how idols work, to see them. So let's talk about power. If you have an idol of power, you pursue power, whatever the cost. You're the person who says in their heart, I'll get there no matter what, and you're willing to pay anything for that to happen or to step over anybody to get there. The greatest fear of the power idol is humiliation. It's not just about winning, it's about not losing. Others around those who worship power often feel like they're used. Because the person who worships power doesn't really love and value the others around them. They simply use them to increase their influence and status. Their relationships are built on what that other person can bring for them to exalt them to the next place. 
The, the problem emotion for the power idol is almost always anger. They tend to be harsh and, and domineering and even abusive. This heart idol is most often exposed when this person feels like they lost or feels humiliated. What about control? If you have a heart idol of control, what do you seek? You seek control. You want certainty and standards and, and your expectations always have to be met. The cost of this is, is usually loneliness and, and spontaneity. This is a person who has to have everything detailed, everything ordered, everything routine. It's a helicopter parent, right, who wants to make sure that there isn't anything that could possibly happen for an instant that could maybe go wrong. And I'm not talking about absurd things like, hey, go play on the roof, right? Like, like I mean, just basic stuff. Okay, it's about being freaked out all the time, pretending that you can somehow control everything. The great fear of the control idol is uncertainty. Around this person, others often feel condemned because they don't measure up. One of the sentences out of a control uh, worshiper's mouth is often, why can't you just fill in the blank? And the problem emotion for the worship of control is worry. It's a life marked by attempts at control resulting in constant worry and anxiety and fear. You don't only try to control everything in your life, but in everyone else's too. So, so this is often a person then that, that will manipulate to get their way as well. That their mantra is, is if, I, is if I want this to be done, I'll do it myself. And you see this in the way that they handle everything, their money, the people around them, how they micromanage every area of their life. There's no peace there. There's no rest there. There's always something to be afraid of. What about comfort? If you have the heart idol of comfort, you seek comfort and pleasure. You want privacy and ease and no commitments and just pleasure whenever, right? The greatest fear for the control idol is stress and demands that keep you from having what you want. Others often feel hurt by those who worship comfort because selfish and laziness always has and leaves collateral damage. The problem emotion of those who worship comfort is boredom. These are people who are always bored because they were designed for something meaningful, for meaningful work and connection and not reckless consumption. So while they'll say no to anything that sounds like commitment, they'll say yes to every kind of momentary pleasure, whether that's food, drink, substance, uh, sex, whatever it is, right? Whatever is easy. Worshippers of comfort see other people, even often those closest to them, as potential obstacles to their comfort. So they tend to have really shallow relationships. They, they tend to have inauthentic relationships because real relationships require work and commitment and vulnerability. So, so instead they just tend to bounce from place to place and person to person and never really go deep with anyone. They just pursue what they want. What about approval? A hard idol of approval seeks affirmation. It seeks love. It seeks relationship. The price you pay for this often is, is independence because you always have to have somebody in your life regardless of whether they're good or not. You're, the greatest fear that this person has is rejection. Others often feel smothered by this person because they're wanting for someone else to be for them what they can never be. The problem emotion for approval is often cowardice. You're afraid of what everyone thinks, so you agree with whoever you're with. 
You don't stand for anything that's true because maybe they won't like you. Your, your life tends to be plagued then by self-pity or envy or hurt feelings or inadequacy because you're always trying to be good enough, always trying to win other people's approval. Approval worshipers often overcommit, they overpromise, they overstate in order to gain the affirmation of other people. They're radically insecure about their faith and identity in Christ and fear a rejection of people above a biblical fear of God and a hatred for sin. So they worry a lot. Often those closest to someone with an approval idol feel just overwhelmed by their neediness because it's impossible for them to fill their need. Again, remember, these aren't in and of themselves bad things. The desire to be loved and affirmed is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. The, the problem is, is that when we're not satisfied with God's love and affirmation for us, so we turn to someone or something else in order to get it. So consider then the works of, of these heart idols. Uh, do, is there any of that that's, that seems to be true of your life? Does that sound like you? Does that sound like what's happening in your heart? Does that sound like the thoughts that, that play? Does that sound like, like the emotions that just dominate your life? Do you see any of these taking you away from God and his life for you? That, that's ultimately what idols do. They take God's place and they become our refuge. So rather than coming to God to be with God, we come to God because we need of God. And we need of God because always, ultimately, our idols fail us. What do, how do we respond to that? Here's the third thing. What do we do in light of that? How, how do, what do we do in response to idols? Here's what scripture tells us, two things. We repent and we rejoice. We repent and we rejoice. The, the irony of serving idols is that they promise us so much and deliver to us so little. They, they, they promise freedom and life, but they ultimately only give us captivity and death. Jesus, though, on the other hand, is the chain breaker and life giver. Jesus is the one who breaks every chain and invites and brings us into life, real life, full life, abundant life. Uh, how do we then put God, how do we put Jesus back on the throne of our heart where he belongs? We repent and we rejoice. Remember that story from Ezekiel 14 about the elders and the leaders with the idols of their heart. Listen to what God says to them in response in verse 6. He says, Therefore say to the people of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Repent. Turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. We see this very same thing from God in the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. We go to the New Testament. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, we talked about this last week. To the church, to us, to the people of God. They were doing good things. They, they were doing good works. But God says to them, look, you have an idol. You have idols in your heart. Something has replaced me. And so here's what he says in verses 4 and 5. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In other words, you've put something else as the greatest love of your heart other than me. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. God's answer for our heart idols is repentance. To, to repent literally means to turn from. But, but, but how many of you guys know that it's impossible for you to turn from something without turning towards something else? 
So, so repentance isn't simply about putting something down. It's about picking something up. It's not simply walking away from something. It's walking towards something else, and that something else is Jesus. Let me, let me show you an illustration quick to help understand repentance. Can we put this up? Um, because to really get this, we have to understand the two pillars of the gospel. And, and the first one is that I'm sinful. The, the, the first pillar of the gospel is that I'm sinful, that I have sin, and that's true of every single human being, all of mankind. But the second pillar of the gospel is that I'm fully accepted. Th- th- those are the two pillars of the gospel. You can't repent unless you first see your sin. You, you can't repent uh, uh, unless uh, there's actually an issue that you have. That, that's why I'm laying this out for you today so that maybe you can see it, so you can look and say, wow, I, I've worshipped comfort or, 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 or control or power or, or approval and affirmation. I care more about what other people think about me than I do what God has to say. And so we have to see it and we have to own it first because if we don't, we'll never be able to really rejoice in what Jesus did for us us and on behalf of our sin in luke chapter 7 he tells a great story jesus about two men who owe a debt one who owned owed owed a whole bunch and the other who owed just a little and both of these men who owed the debt were forgiven and and jesus asks a question and he says which one do you suppose is more grateful who who loves more and Simon, one of the Pharisees who's there, he says, well, I mean, I, get, I suppose it would be the one whose debt was greater. And Jesus answers him and he says, you're correct. You've answered that correctly. Because the one who realizes they have been forgiven much loves much. And Jesus' point to all the people in that room and to us in in this room is that when we own our sin as we should, we realize that we are bigger sinners than we actually thought we were. But, But it also reveals to us that Jesus is a better Savior than we thought he was. That, that Jesus is bigger and greater, that his love for us is, is amazing because if I'm all of that and he came anyway for me, how good is God? How, how much does he love me? I can then embrace God's love for me, this God who would leave heaven, who would leave a throne and come and give up his life for me and my sin on a cross. I can look at that and say, wow, God, you did that for me. God, you must love me so much and the response of a heart that rightly sees that is joy it's to rejoice in him see see, repentance and rejoicing have to go together because repentance without rejoicing simply leads us into despair but but rejoicing without repentance keeps us captive to our idols fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves Joy-based repentance makes us hate sin and love Jesus. Remember, many of our idols are actually good things. A lot of the idols that we tend to have are are even gifts of God. They're blessings of God. They're things like work or family. We we don't want to love those things less. We just want to love Jesus more. See, too often we separate sin from this relationship with God. We look at sin as simply breaking God's rules, which is true. God does have a standard. 
and, and we break that standard, but his standard isn't arbitrary. God, God gives us a standard because of his love for us. Because, of, because ultimately his standard for us is for our good and for his glory. And, and so at the end of the day, our, our sin against God doesn't simply break his rules. It breaks his heart. Because he loves us. Because it keeps us from intimacy with him. Because it keeps us from the fullness of his life for us. Remember our identity statement. He, God loves me. And he wants to be with me. That's the essence right there. And when we see this and we see him, our hearts can't help but respond. When we see our sin for what it is, we're able to see Jesus for who he is and for how good he is. True, true repentance never makes us want to run away from God. It only makes us want to run towards him. And that's a gospel work in our hearts. I'm going to have Noel and the, the team come up, uh, up and we're going to close and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to respond today and, and throughout our whole series um, about the heart with communion. And, and the reason for that is because communion is sort of a way by which God gave to us a reset for our heart. C communion is a, meant to be a reminder, not just to our mind, but to our heart of the love of God. It is an opportunity always for us to repent and rejoice. To be reminded that Jesus came to deal with our sin because he loves us. But he didn't just take care of our sin. He came to be with us and he came to live in us. He came to empower us. He came to walk with us. And he loves us so much that he didn't just want to walk with us here. He wanted to walk with us and be with us forever. That's love.